If you would please open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll be looking at the first five verses. So we're taking a, a break this week from our study in 1 Corinthians because, as we have mentioned today, we are installing Mike Wright to the, to the session to be an elder here at Northgate. And it's appropriate when we do this to really to, to have the sermon focused on the ordination, on, on the installation, on the work of an elder. And this is really a good reminder to Mike and to Jack and to Nathan and to me and to, and to all future elders of what is the, the work of an elder. But I don't want you, those of you who are not elders, to check out and say, this is, has nothing to do with me. Really, these what we're talking about apply to all Christians, not just elders. Elders are really just to be exemplary of these, these traits. But they're really traits for every single Christian to aspire to. And it's also good for every member really to understand the design of leadership in Christ's church, to recognize that godly leadership is really a gift to the church. It helps us to understand how to pray for, how to support our leaders. So 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Hear now the word of the Lord. <clears throat> so I exalt the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, <clears throat> as, <clears throat> as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the, sheep, the, the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let us pray. Yes, Lord, you oppose the proud, and you give grace to the humble. And Father, I humbly come before you, knowing that I am not up to the task of expounding your word. But Father, that is the call that you have given me. And I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you will anoint my words and they will be your words. And each one of us, Father, we know that are not able to hear your words. We're distracted. There are other things on our minds, um, other cares of the world, sins on our minds that, that keep us, preventing us from hearing it. And Father, we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you will clear all of that out. And Father, we will hear from you. We will see you. And we will be changed by this encounter with your word and this encounter with the living God. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And well, this passage, among others, it, it gives us a picture of God's design for his leaders in his church. And this passage, as I mentioned, is not just relevant to elders. This is for the church. We all must know God's standard for leadership, both when choosing a church to attend, but also in choosing leaders and holding leaders accountable. To God's word. And even the way that Peter introduces his instructions for the elders, this tells us much. Because even in, in the way he in, introduces it, there's an implied instruction in this introduction. And it's unfortunately, it's one that's not often followed. It's sometimes given lip service, but if this was truly followed, truly embraced, I think this would remove so much of the leadership disasters that are sadly all too common in our current church. And that, that implied instruction is that there should be a plurality of elders. A plurality of elders. That's why we have multiple elders on the session. We don't have just one leader. 
Look at verse 1. He says, so I exhort you, the elders among you, as a fellow elder. A fellow elder. Remember who is speaking here. This is Peter. This is Simon Peter. Peter was the leader of the original 12 disciples. Peter, along with James and John, he was part of Jesus' inner circle. Peter was an eyewitness to the transfiguration, the earthly sufferings of Christ. Peter was the spokesman for the church in the first part of the book of Acts. And here he refers himself not as Pope, not as, not as a supreme leader. He refers to himself as fellow elder. See, Peter puts himself on the same level as the other leaders. In fact, in other places, we see Peter actually subordinate to other leaders, such as in Acts 15 at the Jerusalem Council. It was James, the Lord's brother, not Peter, who was, who was presiding over the, over the meeting. Also in Galatians, Peter submits to Paul's rebuke over not eating with Gentiles. So nowhere in Scripture does Peter refer to himself or set himself up as a superior rank to the other leaders. And this is a sharp contrast with the Roman Catholic Church whose, whose argument for the superiority of, of the Bishop of Rome was Peter's superiority, the claim that really has no biblical merit. And uh, also that, that uh, the Bishop of Rome is somehow the, the, the successor to Peter. As we see here, Peter saw himself as a fellow elder. And church history shows us that from very early on, due to worldly ambition, due to sinfulness among the elders, this plurality of leadership, this was abandoned. Very shortly after the apostolic age, one elder in the, in the church or in the city, he would rise above the others and he would claim the title bishop. And probably this was really influenced by the, the secular leadership models of the day where there was an emperor or a king. But we see both in, in Paul's letters and in and, uh, and this passage that the office of elder is really the same as the office of bishop. They're just simply two different Greek words used to describe the same office. And there is really a benefit to the plurality of elders in that it provides mutual accountability. It protects the church and it protects the elder himself from concentrating too much authority in the hands of one man. Because we know absolute power corrupts absolutely. We are all sinful. Even elders are sinful. And given the chance, every single one of us would abuse our position. So we need accountability to protect us and to give a, a, a check for our sinfulness. So Mike will join Jack and, and Nathan and, and me on the session. And we will all be mutually accountable to one another. Accountable as each one is, as we seek to follow Christ's direction in leading Northgate. See, we're not, gonna, we're not just a committee that's going to lead. Each of us are prayerfully trying to follow our king. Christ is the king. We are his under-shepherds. We follow. We're basically flunkies who take his orders. That is the purpose of us. And we will be held accountable. And we will hold each other mutually accountable. In verse 2, we see the purpose of the elder. And Peter gives us a very quick, succinct purpose of the elder. In verse 2, it says, Shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. See, the purpose of the shepherd is to care for the sheep. And the sheep are God's people. That is those who he is in charge of. Not every Christian. The elder is not in charge of every Christian. It's the, the, those that God has given him, the flock that he has given him charge. And the elder does this by caring for the spiritual care 
of the people, of his congregation. So what does it mean to, to shepherd the flock? <clears throat> how are the elders to care for the congregation? Right? How is Mike and Jack and Nathan, how are they to care for this congregation? Well, the primary way that the shepherds care for the flock, how they care for God's people, is they feed the sheep. That's how the elders care for the sheep. They feed the sheep. The elder feeds the sheep with God's word. That is the only food. That is the only biblical food. It's through biblical teaching, biblical preaching. And the session has oversight of all the preaching, all the teaching in the church. And they have the the responsibility to make sure it is healthy and solid biblical food. And healthy and robust sheep require a rich diet, a diet of the scriptural truths of God's word. Not my opinions, not Jack's opinions or Nathan's opinions, but God's word. And this makes them strong. This makes the sheep effective. Each of you in your individual callings, a nutritious spiritual diet of God's word enables every single Christian to faithfully serve and glorify God where God has put each one of us in our specific vocation. And the shepherd not only feeds the sheep, the shepherd also protects the sheep. The shepherd protects the sheep from predators, from thieves who want to kill the sheep, from false shepherds who want to lead the sheep astray. The elder protects the congregation from false teachers, false doctrines that will spiritually kill the sheep. It is that dangerous. It is that serious. And much of this protection comes from healthy feeding, sound biblical teaching. Just like a a nutritious diet produces strong, healthy bodies capable of, of withstanding disease, a nutritious diet of God's word builds a healthy, strong congregation capable of withstanding the cancer of false doctrine and error that is so prevalent in this world. But it's not only teaching. A large part of the role of the elder is prayer. Prayer for the sheep. Prayer for their spiritual safety. Prayer for their prospering. Prayer for their their health, their physical needs. For their fears. Prayer for their extended family. Prayer for a million other concerns for the sheep, prayer for the lost in the community that are out there. And Mike, Jack, Nathan, myself, the only way we can pray effectively for the sheep is by knowing the sheep. We need to be around them. The shepherd doesn't the shepherd didn't just stay in his comfortable house and toss food over the even even nutritious food, toss food. No. The shepherd lived with the sheep. He knew the sheep. He knew them by name. They knew him. That is the goal of the shepherd. That is the goal of the elder. It is the spiritual welfare of the sheep. It is the eternal welfare of the congregation. The good of the sheep. That is what matters. But sadly, sadly far too many shepherds forget this goal. They forget that their function is the spiritual welfare of the sheep. And they think somehow it's the, it's the comfort of the sheep. It's the entertainment of the sheep, which more likely is the entertainment of goats that are deceived into thinking they are sheep and are never called to repentance to confirm that they are sheep by a faithful shepherd. To quote the Scottish pastor William Sill, I love what he said. He said, the work of a shepherd is to feed the sheep, not entertain the goats. And that is so tempting to us because we want to be popular with the goats. We want the goats to love us. We want the goats to cheer and say how how great your church is, how big your church is. But that's not the purpose of the shepherd. 
Also notice the goal of the shepherd, the goal is the welfare of the sheep. It's not the welfare of the, of the shepherd. It's not the comfort of the shepherd. It's not the gain of the shepherd. It's not the glory of the shepherd. In fact, Jesus said, as, as we read in our call to confession, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. That's the job. The job of the shepherd is one of giving, not gaining, of washing feet. It's one of self-sacrifice. It's one of service. The one who gets the glory, the one who thinks of himself, that's the hireling. right? The hireling is only in it for its money. And the hireling runs when things get tough, when things get dangerous. But the good shepherd, the good shepherd battles for the souls of the sheep. And the good shepherd runs towards spiritual danger for the sheep, not away from it. It's like a spiritual first responder, right? The first responders, they run into the danger when everyone runs away. Well, it's the same thing for the shepherds. Spiritual danger, they go in. They're there dealing with the sin, dealing with the problems, dealing with the demonic possessions in some cases. That is their call. Run towards the spiritual danger. And when leadership loses sight of this objective, disaster results. When elders forget that their objective is to shepherd the flock of God, and remember, remember, we're accountable to God. So it's not just disaster for the, for the, for the sheep, it's disaster for the shepherd as well, because we're accountable to God. But when elders forget this and, and we seek our own desires, this is when we see all kinds of spiritual abuse. This is what we read about in our Old Testament reading in Ezekiel 34. They were feeding themselves at the expense of the sheep. If you look at it, they were killing, they were slaughtering the sheep to feed themselves. And what is, the, what is this that happens? We're accountable, accountable to the sheep, the, the chief shepherd. And this evil draws the wrath of God. And Peter, in this passage, gives three instructions to lead the elder in this pursuit of shepherding the flock. And these instructions here are presented as a contrast. And it's, it's very similar to what we looked at in, in our study in 1 Corinthians, a, con, a, a contrast between a worldly way of thinking and a godly way of thinking. And these three contrasts are, first, elders are to serve not under compulsion, but willingly, responding to God's call. That's the first. Second, elders are not to be motivated by self-gain, but with eagerness to see the sheep built up in Christ and to see Christ glorified. That's the second. And third, shepherds are not to dominate over the flock, but they are to be a model, model of godliness. So let's look at these. First, elders are not to serve under compulsion, but following God's will. And we see this in verse 2. It says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. And this seems strange. It seems strange. Would someone really serve under compulsion? It's like, can you conscript an elder like, like in the military, like you're drafting him? Well, I think many elders serve not after prayerfully considering, is this God's call? But rather they do it because they feel like they're needed. There's no one else who can do this job, so I have to do it. Or they feel pressure from church leaders. You know, I don't want to let the pastor down. Or family pressure. You know, a wife wants her husband to be an elder. Or a child, their father an elder. Or a son wants their father to be an elder. Or a father wants a son to be an elder. Or even personal. There might be personal pressure. You know, there might be ambition. There might be pride. Now, I can assure you it's not the case with Mike. 
I remember the first time I short, shortly after I came to Northgate, I had lunch with Mike. You probably remember over at Wildflower. We're sitting outside, and I kind of, you know, kind of brought up, you know, maybe Mike might want to consider about being an, an officer or something. Well, he made it very clear. He's like, check, check, I'm out of here. As soon as I even mentioned any officer word, he's like, I did that. I, I have the scars to show it. There's no way that I want to do this again. See, and, and Mike made it clear. He said, I'm not called to do that. John, you great. There's other elders. You guys are doing great. You got my support. I'm out of here. But, you know, and, that, and that's a fine way, that's a fine way of thinking. That was the way the Lord was not calling him at that point. And he was faithful to that. But the thing, way of thinking of being pressured or, or seeking to pressure someone or promoting yourself or, or campaigning for an elder, all this misses a fundamental point about the selection of officers in, in, in Christ's church. And this is very important. And, and, and thankfully, a small church like Northgate is not as much of a temptation. In, in a bigger church, it may be a temptation because truthfully, you know, there's not much status that you get as an officer in a tiny little church like this. But the thing we need to realize is we don't choose officers. We don't. We don't volunteer to be an officer in Christ's church. This is not the calling of a man. This is a calling that comes from God. We have to understand, to be an officer, to be a deacon, to be an elder, to be a pastor, it does not come from man. It's not something you volunteer for. It is something that God selects you, and, and you really can't run away from it. It's kind of like Moses. You try to run away. Most people try to run away, and God keeps pursuing you until you come to do it. It is a calling from God. In 1 Samuel 16, God calls Samuel to Bethlehem, to the house of Jesse, and he's to anoint a new king in Israel. And Samuel looks at all Jesse's sons, and, and they're tall, they're strong. So he's sure that the Lord would anoint one of these. He, he says, is it, maybe it's the oldest, it's the strongest, it's the tallest. But the Lord tells Samuel, he says, don't look on the appearance or the height of the statue, because I have rejected them. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, God is the one who chooses his leaders. And he chooses them for reasons often very different from how we would choose. We choose ones who look strong, who look the part. The Lord looks the heart. He looks at the character. If you look at the description of, of elders in, in 1 Timothy and in Titus, it is all character. It's not outward. The only thing about the elder is he has to be able to teach. That's the only gifting he needs. Everything else is character. So often the leaders that God chooses are not the ones that we would choose. God doesn't choose those who are outwardly strong, but actually those who are outwardly weak, but have a godly character. And he does this to shame the strong. He chooses those who appear foolish by worldly standards to confound the wise. And this is the key. The key is that no man should serve as an elder or a deacon or a pastor unless he is called by God. And the only way you can discern this is by prayer and by godly counsel, by a sober evaluation of a spiritual gifting, of godly characters. I mentioned by 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, by providential circumstances. Are you in a situation where there is a need for an elder? And here's a big one. Here's a big one that I would say is probably the number one to say whether or not you're called to be an, uh, an officer. Do you have agreement of your wife? Does your wife say you should be an elder or a pastor or a deacon? If your wife says absolutely not, you run away. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, when we're evaluating, that's one of the characteristics. If you say your wife's not on board, then we wouldn't even consider it. And all of this, <clears throat> see, that's just one part of it. 
<clears throat> there is the internal call. That's how you discern the internal call. But there's an external call. That's being done by the church. See, as, as elders, we're continually praying. Is this man someone that is being called by God to, to, to serve on the session or serve on the diaconate? And then even beyond that is the call of the congregation. So even if it passes all that, I've got the internal call, I've got the session. Now the congregation has to vote and, and confirm this. Well, in the case of, of Mike, God confirmed his calling by removing all these, this strong aversion when as soon as I mentioned off, he tried to get out of the room as fast as possible, removing that. And again, I can testify, it was a strong aversion. God confirmed this with Carol. He confirmed it with the members of the session as we met with him, as we examined him. And he confirmed by the congregation, voting unanimously to elect Mike to be an elder. And each step of the way is bathed in prayer. We don't rush into it. We pray to see that we are following God's will. And there's a reason why we go through so much effort, why the bar is so high to become an officer. The reason why you have to be certain that this man is called to be an elder is because without God's calling, you cannot expect God's supernatural empowerment for the office. See, the job of an elder is a spiritually dangerous job. Spiritually dangerous. When I was called to be a ruling elder about 16 years ago, I remember I was told that I would now have a big bullseye on the back of my, uh, on my back. And I tell this to every man who is coming both to be a training to be both an elder or a deacon. You now have a bullseye. Satan wants to take you out. Satan wants to strike the shepherd so the sheep will scatter. And if you don't have the call, if you don't have the call to sustain you, you'll either compromise, be ready to, uh, to entertain the goats, or you will be chewed up and spit out when the pressure comes. You can't stand unless you have the calling, unless you have God's supernatural anointing. So this is the first characteristic of an elder. The first contrast, he does not serve under compulsion <clears throat> or by the will of man, but he serves willingly according to the call of God. So this is not something we take on himself. It is a calling from God. That's the first. The second contrast we see is that elders are not to be greedy for personal gain, but eager to serve. We see this in verse 2. It says, shepherd the flock, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And we've all heard stories of, of ministry leaders and pastors living in multi-million dollar mansions, all paid for with tax-exempt housing allowances, using donations to buy not just a first but a second jet, living lavish lifestyles, living like a, a celebrity with movie stars, and all of this on the back of the donations from hard-working sheep, some of them making costly sacrifices to give this money so that it can be lavishly spent on themselves. And this verse condemns this, condemns shameful gain, a sword gain, sleazy gain. It's talking about a person for whom money or personal advancement is the sole priority. And it doesn't really just have to be money. It could be, it could be advancement. It could be personal reputation. It could be power, control in the church, advancement of ego. See, the key here is the motivation is self. Self becomes the, the, the sole motivation. And they will do anything, anything to advance their personal agenda, legal, illegal, ethical, unethical, to maximize their self-gain. And truthfully, there is no place for, for, for this attitude among any Christian, among any who is regenerate, let alone the Christian leader. But sadly, we see it all too often in the church. Now, the church is not a corporation. It may be appropriate for a corporation to, within legal and ethical 
means maximize its profit or, or maximize its influence or its market share. Right? This is the way our economy works. But this is not the case for God's church. This is not the case for the elder. And sadly, sadly, the worldly success and influence of a, of a particular church or the promotion of an individual leader of his platform, sadly, this is far too common in Christ's church. But this is not our goal. The church has a completely different metric. The elder has a completely different metric. And what is this metric? Well, the text says the elder is to serve eagerly. Well, eagerly. Eagerly for what? He should be eager to shepherd his specific flock that he's been entrusted with, eager to obey the Great Commission, eager to make disciples, to care for sheep, to strengthen the sheep, eager to recover the lost sheep, eager to bring the lost into the fold, to make them, to make goats into sheep. And the church's metric is much higher. It's much more noble than to maximize profit, to maximize influence, to maximize market share or anything else to do it ourselves. No, it is to maximize God's glory. That is the goal for each and every Christian, but especially for the shepherd, to maximize God's glory. And when the Lord, the, the chief shepherd, evaluates his under-shepherds, he's not going to be looking at the budget of the church or the balance sheet. He's not going to look at the influence they may have had with the pagans. He's not going to look at the size of their platform or the size of their buildings. He knows all this. He gives all this as resources to do the mission that he has given us. He's going to evaluate us on our faithfulness. Faithfulness to the Great Commission. Faithfulness to growth in grace and holiness individually and for our people. Do we love him more? Do our people love him more? Do we love the sheep? Do we love the lost? Is there an eagerness to make Christ's name known and praised by the whole world? This is our metric. This is our motivation. It's not self-glory. It's God's glory. The third contrast that we see in this text is shepherds are not to be domineering over the flock, but they are to be role models. We see this in verse 3. It says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. See, there is a tendency among our fallen race to seek to dominate over other people. We see this all the time. Look at children. Look at little babies in a playpen. If there's two of them, if one has a toy and the other one wants it, he's bigger, he's going to take the toy. Not that he wants the toy. He wants us to take it. That's the way we are. We just want to do it. It's not about the toy. It's about dominance. And we see this as we grow. Bullying is common. It's not just physical but those in power throwing their weight around, right? It's just simply because they can. We see this in bosses. We see this in husbands. We see this in teachers. We see this in parents. We see this in politics. And what's the goal of this dominance? What's the goal of this control and the bullying? It's to make it clear who's in charge, who's number one, right? It's not to achieve a higher goal. We may tell ourselves that. It's not for the good of the one being dominated. No, it's for our own good. It's to, not to grow them, it's, it's to grow us, it's not to teach them. It's to display our power, our glory, our ego. That's the end. We become the highest end. Our egos become what is the most important. And this type of behavior should not even be mentioned among Christians, much less elders in God's church. But sadly, far too often, it's those who have this type of attitude who are drawn to leadership in the church. Sadly, that's the case. 
No, the goal for us is not to display our own glory, but rather to display God's glory. And for the elder, God's glory is displayed by the faithful shepherding of God's people. And this means growing them in grace, strengthening them in faith, helping them to become more like Christ. And how is this best done? Right, how, how do we do this? How do we make people grow in sanctification? Is it yelling at them? Become more holy? Stop doing that? Or, or else? Or, or pestering them? No, you got to keep going. Keep praying. You're not praying enough. You're not, you're not doing enough. You're not at church enough. Beating on them? No. It comes with patience. It comes by praying for them. It comes by modeling and being an example for them. Now, what does this example look like? Is it, is it like stand, going around and saying, you know, look at me. You know, look, at, look how holy I am. Right? If you really work hard, you can no longer be that miserable wretch that you are. You can approach my greatness. Is that what we're called to do? No, not at all. What we model is a sinner saved by grace, desperately clinging to Christ. What we do is you say, look at me, I'm a mess. There's nothing worth imitating me other than Christ. And I look to Christ, and in Christ I can be great. And we say, if I can do it, if a miserable wretch like me can be saved by God's amazing grace, then no one is behind that pale. No one is beyond the pale. Then you too, then you could become. That's what we model. We model wretchedness clinging to Christ. And this is why I think God chooses ordinary, weak men to be elders. He doesn't choose the superstars because they're unapproachable. He chooses those who are weak in themselves but who are clinging to Christ. And in Christ, in Christ they are strong. And there's no person who has ever lived, no person who is so evil, so bad, so miserable, that if they genuinely come to Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, there's no one that who cannot be saved. Similarly, there's no person who's ever lived, other than Christ himself, who is so holy, so righteous, so good, that they don't need this amazing grace. So as elders, this is what we model. This is what, what Mike has modeled ever since I met him. We model the need for the gospel. We model the sinner trusting in Christ alone for salvation. Now you may have noticed that these three contrasts that Peter lists for the elder, not to serve under compulsion, not to serve for shameful gain, not to dominate the flock, they really all demonstrate the same character trait. The character trait which, which really is essential for the shepherd of God's people and is actually required of every single follower of Christ. Again, that's why I said you have to check out, because this is applicable to every single Christian. And that character trait is humility. Humility. Think about it. Humility is beyond everything that we talked about. And in verse 5, Peter shows us in verse 5, he says, Likewise, you who are younger, that is those who are not elders, be subject to your elders. And then he addresses all Christians. He says, clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And here we see the key. Here is the, the takeaway. The takeaway for the elder and the leader. The takeaway for the follower. It's humility. We must think and act and live in humility. And every contrast that we looked at is a contrast between the way of pride, focusing on self, and the way of humility, focusing on Christ and leading others to him. And here is the truth. Here is the reality. The only way for any of us to be effective for the kingdom of God, both elders and non-elders, the only way for any of us to have an impact for Christ, the only way to receive the glory, the, the unfading crown of glory spoken of in verse 4, is for all Christians 
is to choose the humble road. The truth is, the paradoxical truth is, the way up is really the way down. Whoever would be great must be a servant. He who would be first must be last. So here's a challenge to, to Mike and to, and to Jack and to Nathan and as well as to future elders and to also to all of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Because each of us, each and every Christian, young, old, male, female, we are to resist the ways of the world. We are to resist the leadership models of the world. We are to resist self-promotion, self-glory, making it all about me. We are to make it all about him. Make it all about Christ. So brothers and sisters, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Let's pray. Father, each of us falls short of this. Each of us wants to promote ourselves, wants to be great in the world's eyes. And Father, we do pray that you will protect us from that, that tendency. Help us to see that in you we have everything that we seek and much more that we would seek. And Father, we pray now that as we come to uh, install Mike, Father, we pray for that grace to be upon him and that you will fill him with your Holy Spirit as he leads this church as one of our ruling elders. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.